chapter, verses 17 through 27. Here begins the reading of God's holy word. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to, to come into the world. So far, the scripture. Thank you, Latoya. This is uh, the final sermon in a series that we've been doing on the I Am sayings of Jesus. Unlike uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is very distinctive. Rather than a chronology of Jesus' life, it is a collection of sermons and teachings. John was an evangelist. And characteristic of his teachings is a series where he talks about how Jesus described himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door of heaven. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Last Sunday we looked at I am the true vine. And uh, today, this morning, we're going to look at the final of those seven sayings. I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, the most famous um, place, well, he says it right here, but he says this in the middle of an extended chapter about the resurrection of Jesus of Lazarus. I haven't printed it all out. There's a lot of it. But um, think of this as the context. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus, the one that he loves. Let me read you the beginning of John 11. The passage that I put up there for you starts at verse 17, but I'm going to take you back to uh, the very beginning just so you get the context of the chapter. This is how the chapter begins. Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, who brother, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we don't know the exact relationship of Jesus to the household of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but he loved them. And whenever he was in that area in Bethany, he stayed with them, he and his disciples, and they took care of him. So it was a very close relationship. And in fact, in verse 5 at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. We know from the previous chapter that Jesus is on the banks of the Jordan, the place where he was baptized by John the Baptist. So he's about a day's walk away. And instead of running to, give, to heal Lazarus, 
to be with the sisters as their brother is sick. Jesus just stays. In fact, he stays for two days. Doesn't do anything. No apparent grief, no drama. He loved them, and yet he waited two days. It's very strange. And now we come to the verses in front of verse 17. On his arrival, remember he's waited two days, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus was about a day away. They sent a messenger. It took him a day to get to Jesus. Jesus waits for two days, and then Jesus spends a day coming to them, four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, So Jerusalem is built on top of the mountain, Mount Zion. And Bethany is at the foot of the mountain, and it is the last village on the way up to Jerusalem. So it was the place that either you stayed at before you went um, up to Jerusalem to worship, to celebrate Passover, whatever, to celebrate the festivals, or it's the place you had to pass through on the way up to Jerusalem. And on that way, the two miles up, from Bethany to Jerusalem, the pilgrims would sing songs. If you go to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, 14 of the Psalms begin with the title, A Song of Ascents. And so these would have been the songs that the pilgrims would sing as they ascended from Bethany up Mount Zion to Jerusalem and to worship at the temple. And to give you a flavor of them, there are 14 of them, let me read to you Psalm 121. A song of ascent. So this is a pilgrim song. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, now and forever. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Yet Jesus tarries for two days when he is told that Lazarus is sick. And by the time he gets there, Jesus, uh, Lazarus has been dead for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Famously, the last time that uh, Jesus was in Bethany and stayed uh, the household of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Mary was the one who sat at Jesus' feet, engrossed and attentive to his teaching essentially his student, while her sister Martha bustled around the household trying to take care of all the, all the guests. And when she complains to Jesus, Jesus commends Mary, the one who's sitting at his feet listening to him. And yet here, after Lazarus' death, Mary doesn't even come out of the house. Mary stays, and it's Martha who goes out. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Mary and Martha. Mary tends to be the star or considered the star because she was the one that paid attention to Jesus while her sister busied herself with work. And yet here, they reveal the two sisters in a very different light. Mary stays at home. Who knows what's going through her head? Her brother has just died. Martha is the one that goes out to meet Jesus. Martha is the one who puts her faith in Jesus. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She trusts and believes in Jesus' power. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection at the last day, before we go on with the story, we should just um, pause here. What is resurrection? What does it mean? There's a lot of different uh, thoughts about it. People have very different ideas about this story. Resurrection is new life after death. The raising of a dead person from the grave to new spiritual life and new physical bodily life. Paul explains it when he writes a letter to a church he planted in Corinth. He says this, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He compares the body to a seed being sown in a field. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Martha's faith is in the resurrection, and she knows that Jesus has that power. And that power, resurrection power, is really the fundamental claim of Christianity. We celebrate Christmas, we put up crosses, which are really Roman torture machines that kill Jesus. But the real power of Christianity is resurrection. The promise and the hope and the truth that the grave is not the end, that there is life beyond the grave, that those who put their faith in Christ will live, will live forever. And why is that true? Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She's talking about his second coming, when everybody will be resurrected. So what does that got to do with us? It's an amazing story, an amazing drama. There's a tremendous humanity here. And the humanity is in the different response of Mary and Martha to Jesus, especially in the face of their brother's death, Lazarus' death. 
Mary and Martha are both loved by Jesus. That's how the chapter begins, as is Lazarus. But Lazarus' death crushes Mary. She stays at home. She doesn't come out to Jesus. Whereas for Martha, it is a confirmation of who Jesus is because she believes he has the power over death, and she comes out to greet him. I think it's a good idea to look at yourself in the light of these two sisters. Remember, they're both loved by God. They're both loved by Jesus. They both have a relationship. And yet they're in very different places in terms of their faith and what their faith means to their lives and how they deal with their circumstances. And it's good to look at your own life and your own beliefs and your own faith and see where you are on this spectrum. While I was at seminary, um, this is, gosh, almost 30 years ago now, um, and it was a wonderful time for me, a very exhilarating, happy time. Uh, I was filled with faith, commitment to ministry, head filled with theology, surrounded by enthusiastic people. Um, we regularly sang, here I am, Lord, send me. We were all ready and biting the bit to go. And in the middle of that, my mother died of cancer. And um, it was such a shock, it knocked me sideways. I flew to England, and uh, I didn't even recognize myself. I could barely think. I didn't pack anything. I showed up to my mother's funeral in old jeans and a t-shirt because I hadn't brought a suit or anything. I was completely useless to my remaining family. And all the knowledge that I'd gained at seminary, all the sermons, all the theology, were completely useless. In the face of my mother's death, it was just verbiage and tosh. It had no power. It had no uh, grip on me at all. I completely identify with Mary in this story. She knew. She was a student of Jesus. She sat at his feet. She must have heard many wonderful and remarkable things. But in the face of her brother's death, well, who is Jesus now? Who cares? What does it matter that he's shown up? Death challenges everything. Jesus, like I, was a student of Jesus, a student of God, a student of theology. But the first thing that death does is destroy everything that's going on in your head, it destroys everything that's going on in your life. It just ends. It's like being hit by a truck, and all the head knowledge in the world is absolutely useless. Neither Mary nor I were helped by all the things that we knew about Jesus. Why is that? Why could Mary and I react that way, but Martha react so differently? Because faith is a journey. We saw that when we looked at Abraham's life. We saw that when we looked at Jesus as the shepherd who leads us through this life, through the valley of the shadow of death. And the journey is the journey from knowledge about Jesus knowledge about what he said, what is in the Bible, head knowledge, to a relationship with Jesus. Notice what he says. He doesn't teach Martha about the resurrection. What does he say? I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am your life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Resurrection is not some abstract power, some elixir, not some kind of magic spell that raises people from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection. Because he was resurrected, he is still alive. And life is life with him in relationship with Jesus, sharing his life. That's what he gives us. It's like a couple getting married and sharing a life. They become bound together. Well, when we're married to Jesus, when we are committed to him, his life becomes our life. And that is resurrection. Not some spell, not some command, not some elixir, not some abstract power. So the only question is, what is your relationship with the person of Jesus, the living Jesus, like? It doesn't matter what your theology is. It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible or how often you go to church. It matters what your actual relationship is with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you spend time with him? Have you felt Jesus' presence in your life? When you pray, do you experience that presence? Is that real? Because if it's not, if it's just all in your head, it ain't going to help. When the evil day comes, and it will come for all of us, it won't help at all. In 1873, there was a Christian lawyer from Chicago, Horatio Spafford, and he had a wife and four children. And they were on a luxury liner, and they were going from New York to France. And in the middle of the Atlantic, their ship was struck by another ship, and it went down in 30 minutes. And Mrs. Spafford was a Christian, and she prayed with her children before the ship went down. And as the ship went down, she was holding on to her four kids as the ship sank underneath her. And the waves coming over the ship first washed away her eldest children until she was left just with a little girl in her arms. And she gripped onto her until she lost her balance and was battered unconscious. And somehow, the ship that struck their ship rescued her, and she was saved. But all her children were gone. Her four children were gone. And when she reached the other side of the Atlantic on this other ship, she, uh, it was going to Cardiff, she sent a telegram uh, to her husband back in New York, and it said, saved alone. So you have two parents. They've just lost all their children. An unbelievable tragedy. The truck knocking you sideways, clearing out your head, if it had happened to me. What do you think his response was? He wrote a song of praise. And this is the first stanza of that song that Horatio Spafford wrote in response to his wife's telegram. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my, lot, whatever my loss thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials come, let this blessed assurance control 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. How could he write that in the middle of that tragedy? Because he knew in his soul and his heart, not just in his head, that Jesus was the Lord of life, the Lord of resurrection, that he had a future with his children. They were not gone. They were not lost. And that faith and that conviction allowed him to say those words. If you'd asked me to do anything when my mother died, it would have been gibberish. But he writes one of the most beautiful Christian hymns there's ever been. That's the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Paul talks about putting on the armor of God to be able to stand in the evil day, by which he means before bad things happen, get ready. Have a relationship with Jesus. Know him not just as a set of facts and biography and details. Know him as a person, as your Lord, as your Savior. Ultimately, as your hero who stands and fights the battle that you can't fight. So what happens to Mary? As I say, I identify with Mary. I was right with her. We, we learn later in uh, chapter 11. Finally, she comes out to meet Jesus. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had, <laughs> if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved. You can tell I'm moved. It's not the right word, not moved. The word there is the word for a horse in battle snorting. It is a call to battle. It is furious anger. Jesus is outraged at death. Outraged. There's nothing good about death. But he stands with us. And he fights. And that's why we worship him. Jesus' righteous anger towards death and evil is like a doctor's relentless opposition to disease and cancer, a mother's anger towards that which threatens her child. It does not negotiate, it does not play nice, and it does not back down. That's what Mary knew. That's what Mary experienced. I'm going to read the next chapter, the beginning of the next chapter. Six days before the Passover, so this is six days before Jesus is going to go from Bethany up the hill to Jerusalem to the cross. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Lazarus has been resurrected by, by Jesus. He's now alive. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, 
She put it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So that nard was almost certainly all the wealth that she had. And if you've ever seen the feet of a person who wears sandals in a hot, dusty country, you know that her act of wiping his feet with her hair was about as self-abasing act of love and worship as you could ever do. And so what do we learn? Whatever her head had been taught, at this moment, before Jesus' death, her heart belongs to him. And I'm crying because I think of my mother and the journey that I've been on since that day. We're going to go to the table now. Let's pray. Lord, there are forces in this world, there is evil in this world that we cannot possibly deal with, that we can scarcely comprehend. We thank you that you are our hero, that you stand when we cannot, that you fight the battles that we cannot forget, that you have fought and defeated death, and because of that, we have hope for our future with you, and we have hope for all the people that we love, that we will see them again face to face. We thank you for that hope and that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.